Human beings have been sharing stories for hundreds of thousands of years, and with those stories came the emotional, spiritual, and physical knowledge of the ancients. Shaman Durek is a third-generation shaman, an evolutionary innovator, and a women's empowerment leader. He's here to bring forth the ancient wisdom of our elders to help heal and bring happiness into our modern society. We're sharing ancient knowledge in modern times in order to put the power back in people's hands. Welcome to the tribe. Hello, tribe. I am so happy because life is wonderful and you're in it. And it's all about us staying lit on the lit train, drinking the lit juice and honoring ourselves every single day as these powerful walking gods who are here to take in the knowledge, the information and bring it to the people in this world to create more leaders who lead the message of love forward. And I am so happy that you exist on this planet. And I am so happy that you are here right now on Ancient Wisdom Today podcast. So thank you for being the amazing you that you are. I love you so, 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 so much. And I'm also very excited about having my brother, Luke's story on the show today. I know some of you are super, super happy and taking your happiness level to an all-time high, but it's all about sustaining that vibe and keeping it alive and knowing how we keep and flow in that jive. And that's the way we operate in this tribe. And so when we talk about the things in life, we're talking about it with profound understanding and wisdom because we're learning from each other. We're growing, we're sharing, and we're preparing for this amazing global shift that is happening right now. The revolution is here. And I'm so happy to bring on my brother Luke's story. And I just want to let you all know how amazing it is to have such a down-to-earth, real, no-nonsense, powerful being with me here on Ancient Wisdom Today podcast, where we get to speak and share about everything from, you know, alcoholism to drugs to rock and roll to heavy metal to punk, whatever it is that has come through Luke's life that has made him who he is, how he's inspiring and lifting and shifting people every day in what he does in life, from coming to that level of bringing both the spirit concern and the realness in one place, that's what it's about. And for him to be here on the show, we are so, so grateful. So I want to welcome you to my brother, Luke Story. Wow, that was an amazing intro, dude. <laughs> when I do my podcast intros, I, I just do the interview, like the interview we just did. Mm -hmm. I'll do the interview, throw that in the computer. And then two months later, when it's going to come out, I have to go back and do my intro like you just did. And I'm always sort of envious of people that can just let it roll off their tongue like that and go right into the talk with the person there. I'm like, how did you do that? <laughs> I'll sit at my computer for two hours to just do what you did. No, in a really? Oh, yeah. My intros, man. I was like, I don't know. I probably am too careful about them. Uh, but anyway, it's really it's good to be here. And for the people uh, listening to your show, it's this. It's a funny. This is a first. Uh, in that, well, for a number of reasons. A, it's one in the morning now, uh, one twelve a.m. in California. <laughs> Definitely the latest podcast I've ever recorded. And um, they won't know this until I tell them, your audience that is, but we just recorded a three-hour interview with you on my show. So we're going into our fourth hour of broadcasting here. And uh, as we were kind of debating whether or not to go ahead and do this one, I was I was literally thinking, 
do I have any brains left <laughs> at this point? I'm like, <laughs> I hope I can say something coherent. I am a night person though, which is good. You're a Scorpio, you can do it. But I'm like, damn, we just went down some deep into some deep rabbit holes. So I'm looking forward to seeing what happens spontaneously in hour four. Yeah. I, you know, for me, um, it doesn't even feel, it just feels, you know, being here with you and just having like a total bro geek out and being able to share knowledge and information is really important to me and be able to have you on the show with our listeners. And like there's so many people already on the show who love you. And there's so many people who have not, who don't know who you are, are getting a chance to be here with you. So I just want to go straight into our deep dive and I'm going to be asking all types of questions and we're just going to go there and just randomly just you know, just go into that space and bring everyone into that space oh, with us. I'm good. So I got cookie here too. <laughs> you guys uh, on audio can't see it, but I just got this dog two months ago and she's, we just are in love. It's a deep I love. Cookie's wonderful. It's a deep love. We got to get over that little, the intro excitement barking. I could tell it annoyed you. It annoys the shit out of me. I love her so much, but it still annoys me. It doesn't annoy me. It's just more of it hurts helping my them ears. to be able to create a discipline for the what what they're barking about. Yeah. Well, she's happy. If she was barking to be mean, I'd be like, nah, girl, you're going back to the pound. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe not, but I'd get her trained. But no, she when that's the thing. When she gets really excited, that's how she expresses it. So it's like, I, it's hard to discipline her on that because she's excited because she's happy and I don't want to stifle her joy. I'm having this existential parent um, dilemma with that. But anyway, moral of the story is um, I actually have had a karmic relationship with dogs that's been very strange. When I was a kid, I got bit, chased down in, within a closed yard that was fenced in and I was fenced in with this German shepherd that bit me on the thigh. Oh my God. And I have a huge hole in my thigh still oh, um, because God. of it. And then when I was... Uh, 26, right before I got sober, I got bit on the face by a Rottweiler pretty savagely. And, uh, and that let, it's interesting though, you know, we were talking about framing things earlier and getting bit on the face by that Rottweiler was one of the best things that ever happened to me. Cause there was this cascade of events that led to my getting sober, which was <laughs> sorely needed. And I think anyone in my life uh, at that time would have agreed but it's, you know, it's, it's like that parable where, uh, you know, the farmer, uh, his kid goes out and brings home two stray horses. And then, you know, everyone says, oh, that's such a great thing that happened. And the wise farmer says, well, it's not good or bad. It's just so. And then the horses kick the kid off and he breaks his legs. You know that parable? Mm -hmm, of that course thing? I do. I have my own with getting on the bit on the face by a Rottweiler which everyone said, oh, that's so horrible. And at the time I framed it in that way. And then I got a lawsuit and I got $7,000. Oh, that's so great. You got the money. Well, is it really? Because <laughs> I took that money and I spent every dime of it other than the last 1500 on heroin and got terribly strung out. And uh, so that would be a bad thing then that I got the money, right? And then uh, as a result of for once, finally in my life, having enough money to buy all the dope that I could possibly buy from six in Alvarado, uh, I ended up in rehab and having a spiritual experience that led me to know God. And that's how I sit here today. So uh, it's a, it's been full circle to come back and have my first dog now that I really love and I'm not afraid of her and we're just best friends. And now that dog energy is so much different because that dog that bit me on the face in a sense saved my life. That's amazing. And, you know, and dog and shamanism represents loyalty, um, relationship, connection to self, connection to community, connection to understanding um, what it represents to be a part of a, a pack or a tribe or to, to be in that leadership position. 
That's interesting. I didn't think about that part of it because I've always been existentially, I mean, not so much lately because I've worked on it, but as a kid, I was existentially lonely and I was alone, physically alone a lot. I was neglected uh, quite a bit. And so I spent a lot of time by myself and I was so lonely and I never felt like I fit in as a kid. I mean, I just, I, even, even now it's funny, you know, I'm sort of in the health and wellness and spiritual world as a podcaster and public speaker. And I guess you could say influencer to a degree. And I don't really fit in with the biohacking geeks and I don't fit in with the total new age woo woo people. It's just funny. I was thinking about this the other day. I've never really fit into a tribe. So that's an interesting correlation to have a pack, you know, to have my wolf pack with my dog and we fit in perfectly together in our weird idiosyncrasies, you know, that are so perfectly aligned. Yeah. And also, you know, having um, Cookie also signifies when dogs are in your life, shamanically, it means that you're taking what we call a spirit um, helper or a, a guide, a spirit guide. So the animal is also your guide. It's a part of your totem, right? And because yours is dog, it means that, so any animal that you've had any kind of conflict with, whatever, is your power totem, right? So like uh, you got bit, you got, you know, bit in the leg and the, bit you in the face. That means that that is your power totem. So that is your greatest teacher. So that the power totem is the one that teaches you how to operate into the world and how to be able to become that which you need to become to, to be able to stand and be in your power. So that's what power animals represent, right? So for me, mine's is a jaguar because I was in the jungle and a jaguar came very close up to me and I thought it was going to like eat me, you know, or pounce me or something. And instead it just stared me face in the face. And, oh, that's dope. And literally that became my spirit animal. You know, it made confrontation with me. So going back to what you were just talking about, I really want to go dive in a little bit more with you. I want to go into a little bit of your, um, your childhood and your upbringing. Where, where, where were you born? What, what was your life like that led to becoming Luke's story? And, and really, what, when I say, what was your childlike like, what I would like to know is not just what the childlike was like, what, what was the discrepancies or the difficulties that you found growing up as a child? Well, I come from a long lineage of very dysfunctional people. And it's funny looking at generationally, you know, from what I know about my great grandparents on both sides, they were really twisted people. And then their offspring, which would have been my grandparents, of course, were slightly less twisted and so on. And so I was born to a very liberal feminist hippie mom from Berkeley who moved to Aspen, Colorado and fell in love with the hard ass, I mean, a fucking hard ass fighting, drinking cowboy named Alan Story in, in Aspen. And, uh, and they were a very unlikely couple and they were so unlikely coupled that they, I think, divorced when I was two or three and my mom split with me to California. So I grew up in, well, I never really grew up. I'm still working on that, but I was uh, raised by wolves in primarily Sonoma County and I grew up with my mom and uh, there were a lot of drugs around and I, you know, I didn't have a protector. My mom loved me, but I didn't have a male figure in the home. You know, we lived with my grandmother and so I was molested when I was five or six by a babysitter a couple of few times. Uh, when that happened, my life really took a turn 
and I started getting into vandalism and uh, lighting fires and, you know, I mean, arson, really. I, I lit this fucking pine tree on fire in front of our house. <laughs> it's like, you know, fire engines and cops and I'm five or six years old, kicked out of first grade for punching a kid and bullying kids and things like that. And, uh, you know, just immediately started having developmental and behavioral problems and and was aware of drugs from a really early age. I think I was... I had my first drink around that time when I was five or six and the babysitter that molested me, I don't remember if I smoked weed, but I remember what a bong looked like and I saw someone else smoke. They showed me weed. I don't remember if they gave it to me or not because I was so young. And if I got high, I would probably forget because you tend to forget shit when you get high. But drugs were, um, you know, dirty magazines and, and smoking weed and smoking cigarettes and drinking alcohol and and then uh, rock and roll, you know, as you mentioned in the intro, when I first heard music, those are my first escapes from that trauma. And subjectively, what that experience was, was that I'm different, that I'm broken, I'm dirty, uh, I was ashamed. I didn't know how to tell anyone about it. There was no, it's not like now where there's TV shows about this shit. I mean, this is... 1975, 76. I mean, there was no framework for a five or six year old kid to be like, hey, mommy, someone's touching me. It's just, I was like, oh, I'm like, and I knew what gay was. And the kids at school didn't like you if you're gay. So I thought that maybe that meant that I was gay. And what the fuck, you know, it was just a very, it's just so confusing. And, and, and also the fact that when that happened, uh, I became also very dishonest at that point because that was a big lie that I had to uphold that I couldn't share that that had ever happened. And it was also very confusing because it wasn't terribly scary. It wasn't like someone punched me in the face and held me down and abused me. It was like a cool thing that we could do that we don't tell the parents about kind of thing, you know? So anyway, fast forward a bit into my teenage years. By the time I was 14 years old, I was using cocaine. I was playing with guns like assault rifles and <laughs> uh, stealing from uh, cocaine from Hell's Angels and doing a lot of crazy shit and around a lot of really dangerous older people and really dark, dark people. I was just in a lot of pain. And, you know, I think the one thing that, that saved me and got me through that was, like I said, music. That was my first healthy outlet and my first spiritual experience, you know, and even now, like just today, I was driving to my Kundalini yoga class this morning and I put on the Grateful Dead really loud in my car and I rolled down all the windows and I opened the sunroof and it was so beautiful, man. I'm, I remember that's what smoking weed and listening to music felt like when I was a kid. It's like I was free out of my body. I was not encumbered by the emotional burden uh, of, of of negative feelings, negative feeling states, and also the uh, the thought burden and the stress of the mind. And now I achieved that stone cold sober. I'm you know I'm almost 22 years sober now. To to fast forward to that part of the story, which comes a little later. But uh, point being is, as a kid, I you know it's 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 funny when I get to know people, it's like I don't care so much what happened. I'm like how did how did it feel when that happened? You know, and how it felt. So that's what brings me back and helps me to see the contrast of how far God and and other people and grace have brought me because I don't feel those ways anymore. Now I feel the highs, like listening to the Grateful Dead and the LA Sun, 78 degrees on my way to yoga class on Saturday morning, just feeling so fucking good for no reason at all. Right. Just because I'm alive. And, and that was the feeling that I got artificially as a kid as a means by which to escape. And, um, and so... You know, then my mom became an alcoholic and got into drugs, and uh, and we were kind of partners in crime in a sense. 
in a really uh, unhealthy way. And I got uh, locked up. I, I was used to break into houses and steal people's shit when I was 13, 14 years old. And I did it a lot. And I finally got caught. And the people, I mean, it's, it's kind of funny, but the, the last time I did it, the people came home when I was in their house. <laughs> yeah, they rolled up on me, dude, ransacking their fucking house. It was in um, Colorado because I had got, my mom couldn't deal with me. So she sent me out to my dad's and, you know, he was not a happy camper in general and especially not having his drug addicted, like not tough California little stoner kid coming out there. And he was, he's a really angry guy and um, had a lot of his own problems as did my mom. We've all mended it now, by the way, that's the happy ending. You know, we've all lived happily ever after because everyone's kind of done their work. But anyway, I got sent out to dad's and immediately, you know, I couldn't find drugs out there like I could in California. So I had to really ramp up my fucking robbery schedule just to keep high. And I got caught. The people came home. <laughs> it's funny. It's a funny. <laughs> here's the funny thing about the story. So, so my dad, he wanted to take me with his girlfriend. He's, you know, really into, uh, my dad was big cowboy. Uh, he was in rodeos. He raced stock cars. Um, he raced snowmobiles. He was a ski patrolman in Aspen. And he was been hunting since he's six years old, fishing. I mean, he was about the mountain life and still is, you know, which is, he, he really gave me a love for nature, which I later kind of rediscovered. And now I'm fully immersed in, but he wanted me to go up uh, to the, what we call the high country. Let's go up tomorrow with the high country with me and my girlfriend. We'll go riding, shooting and shit. And I was like, oh, I, I played sick because I needed weed. And so I cased out the neighborhood and we found some weed growing on the back porch of this house, right? I mean, just four houses away from my dad's house. So we break in and thinking there's some, you know, smokable weed inside, not these premature lame ass plants on the porch. Find no weed. All we could find was booze. And so I started drinking brandy and shit. And we, we ransacked the house. We stole a bunch of shit, took it back to my garage, got drunk, went back to the house to get the rest of the shit. And we're fucking drunk now. I'm 14 years old, being a dumbass, totally not aware. And the people come home and we're inside the house. And uh, talk about being afraid. <laughs> what did they What did they do? <laughs> yeah, you, I mean, the look on their face, can you imagine? What a creepy feeling. I mean, I'm laughing about it now. Karmically, trust me, people listening, I've paid the fucking price and then some for that indiscretion uh, on my behalf. But uh, well, it was funny, you know, I wish I could like draw a diagram of the house, but essentially there, you know, there's the front door. And then when I heard them, the keys coming in the front door, I saw a door right in front of me and I was in the master bedroom and I thought it was a closet. It's like, oh, fuck. And so I opened the door to jump into the closet and just waited out, you know, uh, that was the best thought I had in that moment. And I opened the door and it was a, a door adjacent to the front door. There were essentially like two front doors on the front porch. So I opened the door and I was like, fuck, and they're right there in front of me. And they're like, hey, you know, and the guy chases me. They catch me on the train tracks because I was 14, short legs. Right. It's a grown ass man chasing me, catches me. And I, t I make up this, I thought, a really plausible story that I'd been riding motorcycles up behind the train tracks on the hill with my other 14 year old prepubescent punk ass friends. And we saw some big kids, like some hoodlum teenagers down there breaking into the house. And when they left, we went in to investigate what had been going on. And they were like, yeah, okay, we're calling the sheriff. <laughs> and the cops came. I told the cops that. They're like, cool, we'll go down to the Aspen uh, courthouse, Pitkin County courthouse, and you can take a lie detector. And if you're telling the truth, we'll just let you go. But if you're lying, you're going to uh, jail, you know? And so they took me to the jail. And anyway, long story short, 
uh, obviously. Wait, I, did they take you to, did you do the lie detector test? Well, no, I confessed. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was scared because they're, you know, they, I mean, I'm 14. I was pretty easy to crumble under their interrogation. Mm -hmm. But it, essentially it was like, the punishment was going to be way worse if I lied. And if I just told the truth, they were going to let me off with probation, basically, you know, or that they said the judge would be much more lenient if I was just honest with them, you know? So, so I, I ratted on myself. And uh, as a result, I got sent away. This is a real turning point of the stories. I got sent away to this very strange uh, sort of cult boarding school in Northern Idaho that was 30 miles from the Canadian border out in the middle of fucking nowhere called Rocky Mountain Academy. Adult students that went to this particular school. Wait, what, what was it called? Rocky Mountain Academy. I think I know that. Yeah. Well, you may have heard of it because a lot of rich kids went there. Yeah, a lot of my friends went there. Barbara Walter's daughter was there. The Sam Walton of Walmart, he was there. Uh, I was not. My my dad had enough money to send me there, but I I wasn't a rich kid. I was, I was actually out of, speaking of out of place there, it was a bunch of rich preppy kids and I was like white trash basically uh, from where I was from in California. But anyway. They sent me to the school, and uh, it's funny because adult students of that school now, there's Facebook groups and stuff, and they refer to themselves as survivors of that school. Not graduates, not alumni, but survivors. It was a very strange place. A lot of borderline abuse and things like that. But the school was very interesting because it... A, none of the quote-unquote therapists there, I don't think, had any professional training of any kind. They were all quasi sort of self-help coming out of this is going into the early 80s this would have been 83 84 and these were like 70s kind of self-help very like um you know into experiential therapy and primal scream therapy and things like that like just the 70s therapy model but they weren't no one had a fucking degree you know it's just people that wanted to go have a job helping kids many of them ex-drug addicts and things like that so i go to this school and uh, and they brainwashed me in, in the most positive sense. You know, they taught me about spiritual principles and truths. And it's funny when you were saying the name of your show, uh, Ancient Wisdom, I thought, wow, that's really, that's what I live by. I'm not a shaman, but I live by not even ancient, but just timeless principles. And that was my first introduction to principles like humility and sincerity, honesty, compassion, love, um, willingness. I mean, the principles that I've adopted from, you know, getting sober and being involved in um, the 12-step recovery and things like that. And I heard that stuff and lived it when I was 14. But unfortunately, when I went to that school, you know, I wasn't abused there. Some of the kids claimed that they were. Nothing happened to me. But there were a lot of things that were really hard and really built up my character. They'd send you out on these things called solos. It was a lot of wilderness experiences and things like that to toughen you up and build your self-esteem because they'd throw you out in the fucking woods at like 12,000 feet in the middle of the winter. And, you know, I mean, literally like four feet of snow. You could, you could, you had to get up there with snowshoes. You know, you couldn't even, it was not like a hike. You have a 60-pound pack on your back. I probably weighed 80 pounds or something. And then they throw you out in the woods by yourself for three days with, uh, you know, a couple candles and a shovel and you're on your own, you know? So things like that were border now would be considered abuse in our PC culture. Back then, it was like, oh, we need to toughen these kids up. But I get out of there, and um, what I didn't, I was sober for two years in there because I was forced. You know, I couldn't have sex, couldn't listen to rock and roll, had to part my hair on the side, couldn't wear my Black Sabbath shirts anymore. They really, they preppied me out. But when I got out, I didn't know that I had already contracted drug addiction and alcoholism and whatever that disorder or disease is. I fucking had it big time. 
And so I got out and uh, I smoked weed one time and I just immediately spiraled into taking LSD in high school all the time and doing coke and selling weed. Eventually came back out to California to chase my rock and roll dreams. I started to play a little guitar and I wanted to play music and I uh, came out here and moved to Hollywood when I was 19. And I got a fake ID, started hanging out with all these rock stars that I listened to. I had their posters on my wall one week. Next week, we're doing fucking heroin together, playing in a club. I mean, it was just insanely fun and amazing and cool to be away from my parents and have an ID and having sex with all these older women in their 30s and shit. I'm 19. I was really good looking, you know? I started modeling. I mean, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but I was. I was a beautiful fucking 19-year-old specimen, you know? Yeah, I mean, you still and, are. Uh, well, thank you. And so, it would, you know, move to Hollywood, be a good-looking kid uh, and at 19 with a little bit of musical talent. I had a really good time. But what happened was I, I really got overtaken by the drugs and I never really dealt with, you know, the trauma that I experienced as a kid. And I didn't understand what was wrong with me and I had no spiritual connection or anything like that. So by the time I was 26, I was... Um, just about to become homeless and was just terribly addicted to crack and heroin and the rock and roll party had fucking died. You know what I mean? It's like those heroes that I'd looked up to, many of them had OD'd or were in rehab or had had a stroke from their using, you know, just everyone started to kind of die out, you know, and um, some of them literally and some figuratively. So I hit this really dark place Um where I just knew that it's like, I always think about in the cartoons where there's like, they're on a river in the Amazon or whatever, and they're in a canoe and they're about to go over a waterfall and they don't know it, but you Mm -hmm. can see it. Mm -hmm. Well, I knew it. I was in the canoe going, I got about 50 more feet (laughs) and I'm going to be dead or I'm going to get, I'd been robbed. And I was, you know, at that time, this is the early nineties dude in Hollywood too. And I love to reflect on this because now it's so like, Disneyland out it's here? It's very Disneyland. Dude, you had, uh, I mean, you know, there was no like border between South Central and Hollywood. There was gangbangers everywhere. This is the Northridge earthquake, um, Rodney King beating, the LA riots, Tupac, Biggie, OJ, all that shit happened in a five-year period. And I was living in Hollywood right during that time in the middle of, you know, just the fucking jungle, you know? And uh, so it was a cool time to have your depravity years, in a sense, because Hollywood was really seedy, and it was exciting and dangerous. I mean, you were going to get robbed out buying drugs, and if you got caught by the cops, they might fucking beat you like they beat Rodney King, no matter what color you were. They hated long hairs as much as they hated fucking black gangbangers, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Well, maybe close to that much. Very corrupt LAPD. Weird time. But my, you know, used up all my e-tickets, man. And uh, and I started praying to God to get me off the heroin. I just wanted to smoke weed. That was my fucking dream. I grew up listening to Cheech and Chong records. Like, weed? Bob Marley, man. I love reggae. I used to go see the dead. Like, I, I wasn't violent. I didn't rob people anymore or anything like that. You know, I dealt drugs for a living. That was what I did. I was a fair dealer. I'd show people the scale. Here, you weigh it. You know, a dollar bill weighs a gram. So I'd zero out the scale, show them it's a gram. I put a dollar bill on, let them see their sack. I mean, I was on the up and up, but I was terribly addicted. They'd buy the weed and then I'd be in the closet smoking crack. (laughs) Half the time smoking crack, half the time smoking drywall that I, you know, thought was crack. Uh, But somehow there was this still small voice, man, that 
because I had had those two years in that school and I, I got just a modicum of self-awareness and self-love. And there was one, um, the headmaster there, he really cared about me. I had one role model that I was sure cared about me, that I trusted one person in my life that was trustworthy and that didn't abandon me or hurt me or abuse me. And his name is Tim Brace. I actually looked him up a few years ago as an adult and went to visit him. It was a pretty neat experience. But I, you know, I knew that I was supposed to be doing something else. So I, I would pray and I'd pray. And my family had started to go to India, my dad's side, to see Sai Baba. They were devotees of Satya Sai Baba, big fro, orange robe, later accused of all sorts of sordid things um, that I have a hard time believing occurred. But he would you know, manifest shit out of his hands, very controversial sort of guru. But my, my uh, aunt... The lingams and all that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My aunt would go over there. And um, uh, uh, both of my aunts and my grandmother even went a few times. And my aunt lived over there for like five years in the ashram. And they would come back and I'd be strung out or in between strung out. I'd go to visit on the holidays and they would tell me these tales of these mystical experiences that they had. And somehow I connected my drug addiction with the necessity of reaching that realm. And that the answer to what was going on in my very immediate physical situation, and not just physical, but you know, spiritual, emotional, psychological, everything that was sick about me could be healed if I could find a guru like that. And so I started reading the book, the Satya Sai Baba book, and they brought me back another book by Nisargadatta Maharaj called I Am That. And I have that book now, and it's so funny because I could only read the back cover of I Am That, and I didn't know what the fuck it was talking about, but I knew that it was the truth. And it was about non-duality and the yeah. nature of reality. And now yes. I have that book, and I'm, you know, I'm trying to be precocious, but I understand that book perfectly now all these years. It took me, you know, 25 years to finally get it, you know, what that, what the meaning of that teaching was, but I was attracted to that. And so what happened was I started praying to Sai Baba. I had these little pictures in my pocket I would carry around when I was scoring drugs and I'd pray to it. Can I stop doing this? Can I stop? Can I stop? Can I stop? And, uh, and then I got bit by that dog and got all that money and I lived high on the hog for about two months. I bought all these clothes and bought a lot, a lot of heroin. And uh, to the point where I was going to have to start shooting it, you know, because mm -hmm. I smoked it. And I, it was just, I couldn't get high. I could get well, but I couldn't get high. And I knew if I started shooting, I was going to fucking die. And I was, people died all the time in Hollywood in the early 90s shooting heroin, you know, because you you can't really gauge the dose and you don't want to shoot up five times. So you're going to make a big shot if you have enough. And I, I know how it happens, you know, it's, um, it's an accident, but it's an accident born out of just the circumstances. And also you could get dope from the same guy in one day and it could be a varied strength because they re up and they get a, a more concentrated, uh, batch, you know, so it's really dangerous to shoot up. So that fucking scared me. And then also I would have had to admit to myself that I was a heroin addict, which I was for five years, but I used to judge junkies because they use needles and they stole your guitars and shit. I didn't do that kind of stuff. I was, I fancied myself as kind of like a stoner that like was into the Grateful Dead and smoke. I used to think like, I smoke opium. It's like, no, I don't smoke opium. I'm a straight up heroin addict. I get deathly ill if I run out of it for more than a couple hours. So anyway, man, the dog bites me. I go to this money, get terribly strung out. I end up in the valley somewhere deep in the crevices of the San Fernando porn capital of the world. I think it was like Canoga Park. And what I used to do when I'd get strung out is I, I wouldn't pay them, but 
maybe I give him some drugs or something, uh, one of my drug buddies to sequester me, like the movie Train Spotting. Mm-hmm. Remember when that shit came out? I was sober and I was like, that's my thing. You get one of your fucking homies to lock you up in a room and no car keys. No, there back then was no Uber. Or, you know, I don't even have any of a cell phone. So if you didn't have access to a pager to page the dope man, you're getting dope sick. And you, once you're in it, you're in it. And you, you're too sick to get up and have the wherewithal to take a taxi to downtown LA or something. So that was my technique. I would go dry out and kick somewhere where I couldn't escape. And I did that one last time and I woke up. It's funny because I interviewed Byron Katie, one of my all-time favorite teachers, and her bottom involves cockroaches, as did mine. Now, the cockroaches were on her as she lay on the floor of a halfway house out in fucking Lancaster, which is even a worse bottom than anywhere in the valley. (laughs) Yeah, I would say. I would definitely say. But she woke up and came to and had her spiritual awakening with cockroaches on her. Mine were just next to me, my little buddies, you know? So I roll around sweating for three days, fucking roaches all over. and And then I had the moment of surrender that changed my life forever, you know? I just said, God... You got to help me. I, whatever you are, thing, God, it, she, we, this has to end. And I called my mom and, uh, and I asked her to get me into a rehab, you know? And I, and I did and she was like, finally, Jesus. Cause she did, she'd sobered up and was like waiting for me. You know, when I was a teenager, she made me go to a couple meetings and stuff. And I, I, I liked it. I thought, well, someday, you know, when I get beat up, when I get arrested, when I lose everything, you know, when I OD, I'll go to one of those meetings then, but I'm, it's going to be a while. Hang, hang on to your hat, mom. And she did. She lovingly and in a non-codependent way just let me fucking use and destroy my life in Hollywood. But the day that I called, I got to hand it to her and I'm forever grateful. She handled her shit, man. She got me on a plane, got me in a place and in there as where my life really began and I had my first true experience of God and I prayed the first morning that I came to in there that I could be relieved of that bondage. And from that moment until this moment right now, almost 22 years later sitting with you, I've never once ever, ever, ever even come close to thinking about taking a drink of alcohol or using a drug or had any sort of a craving or any delusion that I can just do one or I can get away with it or it'll be different this time or I'm on vacation so it's okay or maybe I could do plant medicines and (laughs) I'm done. I'm out. I'm out of the fucking game. Right. You know, and that happened as a result of just God giving me a reality check. So for the past uh, 22 years, what I've been doing is really unpacking that experience of what happened to me and going deeper into that level of surrender, but using that surrender experience to surrender everything in my life, not just that one little problem, but really, you know, the underlying causes of that problem and really delving into the the recesses of of my being and and digging up all that shadow and bringing it to light and and then helping other people to do the same thing. And after that, I um, I ended up, uh, so many fortuitous events, you know how life is. I ended up getting a job for a fashion stylist who I dated briefly, and she um, hired me as her assistant. She dressed rock stars, and she booked Aerosmith as a client. It's really weird, because during that time in the late 90s, Aerosmith were very publicly sober. They'd all been to rehab. They were fucking crushing hit records. This is, I don't want to miss the thing. Armageddon. That was like the comeback of Aerosmith and why they had a big comeback because they were sober. 
And I thought being sober was the lamest thing in the world you could ever do. I mean, I thought being a junkie was cool. Being sober, you're a loser. And so my first job is working for Aerosmith and getting to sit down with Steven Tyler and go, dude, it's okay to be sober. He's like, are you kidding me? Look how many records we're selling. We're bigger than ever. I'm happier than ever, you know? And that was one day I hope to have him on my podcast and thank him for that. You know, I haven't seen him in all the, in, you know, this many years um, after that brief few months that I worked with them. But um, that he's, led, he's been in Hawaii. He's been in Hawaii. Yeah, I hear that. I hear that. Yeah. Uh, but at any rate, what happened was I ended up uh, in the fashion industry. And um, while I was pursuing spirituality and really got deep into health stuff, I mean, oh my God, I'm, I'm the biggest health nut I think I've ever met. Uh, I traded my obsession for drugs for like getting healthy and, you know, doing saunas and cleanses and going to Hawaii. I did like a 14 day colonic thing for two hours a day. I mean, just extreme shit to detox my body and purify my body so that I could live long enough to have a spiritual experience. And uh, I became a fashion stylist and I did that for 17 years. I retired maybe three years ago and 10 years into my career, started a business called School of Style, which is still going. We're, we're now 10 years into that business and uh, we teach people how to become a fashion stylist or personal stylist for a living. And then two little, yeah, about two years ago, I made a decision to stop being afraid of who I am and my power and what I have to offer the world. And I started my podcast and started doing public speaking and coaching and sharing the things that I'm passionate about, like we're doing right now. But it all, you know, it all began from like being violated (laughs) as a little kid, you know, and then having my life be punctuated by really painful traumatic experiences. And then uh, eventually realizing that I couldn't solve any of those issues myself and, and seeking God in various forms in my life and continuing to do that and finding better and better results, the, the deeper levels that I go with that. Like we were talking about in our previous interview with money and sex and all of these other things that I think a lot of people just try to figure out themselves, you know, but for me, I, I fuck things up so bad sometimes that it it forces me. I paint myself into a corner and I go, okay, I have to use the spiritual solution to this this problem that's manifested in the physical plane in my life. You know, it's like everything always comes back to, oh, there's just a, a glitch in the matrix here. I'm trying to do this shit on my own and I'm ill-equipped. I have to have some sort of spiritual spiritual help, you know? You know, first of all, I just want to um, commend you on your transparency and your openness and willingness to talk about your life the way that you just did. I think it's a very uh, commendable and very uh, beautiful, important thing to be able to bring to people. Because people, one of the things that I, I see a lot is that people have this this idea that you know they're shameful of their past and they they want to hide it they want to push it away they want to like act like it's not there and you know and i was listening to a lot of your story i have a lot of similarities to certain things that you've gone through but i want to go back to what happened with you as far as the molestation because you know a lot of what you were saying is and i and i know a lot of people are listening to the show are thinking okay you know, they're hearing all of this and they're saying, okay, so what does this mean for um, for us? What does it mean for, for, for teen youth? What does it mean for, for, you know, parents who have kids who operate in this way and really, really looking at like, you know, what is, what are these, what leads someone into that path? What makes them go into that, that path? So my question to you is, 
do you think it was the fact that you were going through the molestation situation or do you feel that it's because you felt abandoned and through that abandonment of the molestation and of the things that you were experiencing that you uh, abandoned yourself and took a I don't give a fuck attitude to life and wanted to just basically do whatever the hell you wanted to as each emotion came up, you reacted such as you were vandalizing, you know, robbing people, doing these things. All of that is a reactive behavior that comes out of the idea that I don't, I need to do this in order to feel something, right? And so people don't feel things because they they abandon themselves because they feel abandoned. Do you think on some level that your molestation, that in fact, on some core level, that you fell in, uh, I don't want to say infatuation or love or feeling of belonging or feel a sense of connection? Because in shamanism, we have this idea that when you're molested, you're getting charged with energy, right? And so Anything that happens to you at a young age where you experience this, you get charged with energy, which makes you more sensitive to energy. And also, did you feel like because of that experience, you belonged and there was a connection between you and the person who molested you that on some level, you felt bad about it and on some level, you enjoyed it? You know, I didn't really have that sense, that Stockholm syndrome kind of sense of connection because the uh, gentleman that did it wasn't really around a lot. You know, I don't know. He babysat me a few times, and I think it happened at least once, maybe two or three times. The memories are a little bit vague. I have like weird, creepy memories about details of it, just things that were said and that just will never leave me. Uh, but it wasn't, um, yeah, it was, I think it was confusing because. I didn't, like I said before, I wasn't afraid, you know, or it wasn't like, um, like I enjoyed it in the sense that I liked being mischievous already and I was already dishonest. I was already doing shit that I wasn't supposed to do at five or six years old. I was already being dishonest and lying to my mom about whatever shit, you know? And so the way the, the abuser kind of manipulated me into it, it's a fucking funny story, actually. Remember this show, Three's Company? Mm-hmm. Three's Company was kind of racy, okay, in the 70s. Very much it was so. like a grown-up show, you know, roommates living together, man and woman. It wasn't like a nuclear family. Now that would be obviously ridiculously uh, vanilla, but at the time, five-year-old kids weren't supposed to watch that. And so the deal that the molester made with me is he was going to let me watch Three's Company, and but then we had to do this stuff. But then he, I couldn't tell my mom that he had done that but then he wouldn't tell that I was watching Three's Company, you know? So I was I was kind of a co-conspirator, you know, as innocent as I was going into that. So, um, but I didn't feel a sense of connection to him or loyalty to him or want to protect him. It wasn't that kind of thing because I didn't, I don't know who this fucking dude was, you know? And he was, I think, 16 or something like I that. I want to stop right there for a second because yeah. I want to dig a little deeper. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So you, this is fun because I've never talked. I mean, I barely started talking about this publicly at all, maybe a few months ago. So definitely have never gone into detail. I just said, oh, I suffered some trauma. That's, that's about as right detailed as I go. So but when you're talking about it, it might help someone though, you know, that's the reason, that, so, reason why I want to go deeper. Yeah. Because when you're talking about it, you're talking about it when you're like, oh, I didn't feel anything. It was just some dude. And so whatever like that, that the way you're actually saying that mm -hmm. is very defensive. Right? Oh, interesting. And defensive reaction shows that you're covering up. You're hiding something that you don't want to look at. 
Mm, interesting. So I want to go back into that space. Okay. And I want you to ask yourself out loud. Okay. Why am I being defensive about it? Okay. Why am I being defensive about it? And then listen what comes through. Because I don't want to blame the abuser and condemn the abuser. You don't want to blame the abuser and condemn the abuser. Okay. Even though I didn't have any kind of a close relationship. See how you just said that just now? Yeah. Do you see how you just said that? Yeah. What you said, I don't want to blame the abuser or condemn the abuser. And then you had to throw in another defense. Another defense. Interesting. Okay. And you caught the defense, right? Yeah. You got it? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So that defense mm-hmm. is the the one who's protecting the information that is still reason why you can't deal with the situation or the images or the thing or any of this nature. Mm-hmm. We need to talk to that, that part of you. Interesting. Okay. So I want you to ask, why are you defending? Just have a conversation with it. Don't even, it's not even like a big deal. Just be like, why are you defending? I've caught you two times now. Ask it. Why are you defending? I've caught you two times now. Tell it. I've ca- why are you defending? I've caught you two times now. I think it's that I feel the need to make some sense of it. Hmm. Say, is that what I think or is that what, you, uh, is that what you told me? Ask that question. Is that what I think or is that what you told me? That's the only answer that comes to me. Okay. Ask this. Say, is there a spirit with me that is protecting me by having me maintain control over this situation? Ask that. Is there a spirit within me that's uh, protecting me by helping me maintain control of the situation? My mind's very quiet. Mm, say, why aren't you answering me? <laughs> Go ahead. We're going we're gonna to engage. I strive really hard to have a quiet, still mind like that. And sometimes it doesn't work. But I appreciate those moments. But I want to fucking answer. Why aren't you telling me? Why aren't you communicating to me? Why aren't you communicating to me? Is it still quiet? Yeah. Say, are you not communicating to me because I'm uncomfortable of hearing what you're going to tell me? Are you not communicating this information to me because I'm uncomfortable with what it is that you're going to tell me? Yes. Say, I'm, ha- I'm engaging you now okay. because I'm willing to take the journey and remove my judgment from the situation. Say that again. I'm engaging you okay. now. I'm engaging you now. And I'm willing to remove my judgment and I'm willing to remove my judgment of the situation. Of the situation. I want to help you to a place of resolution so that we can be resolved. I want to help you to a place of res- resolution so that we can be resolved. And I know the only way I can do that is to not judge what you're going to say to me. And I know the only way that I can do that is to know that you're not going to judge, that I'm not going to judge what you say to me. Are we okay to proceed with this conversation? Are we okay to proceed with this conversation? Yes. Okay. Why are you defending? Is it because you are protecting me from what you really want to tell me? Ask it. Why are you defending? Is it because you're protecting me from what you really want to tell me? Wow, I just got a really weird sentence in my head. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so. Nothing's weird. Let's not judge it. Let's not call it weird. Okay. I got a sentence in my head. I got a sentence in my head that says it was your fault. 
Mm, okay. It's okay. Say thank you for sharing that. I heard you. Thank you for sharing that. I heard you. Can you explain to me how it was? Can you explain to me how it was? You deserved it. Okay. Thank you for sharing that with me. Why do you think I deserved it? Ask it. And see what's happening right now. You see how you're 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 cracking your neck and you're going to a place. Yeah, I'm on a fucking podcast, bro. <laughs> <laughs> this is not just me and you, homie. Remember, there's fucking cameras and microphones going on here. It's gonna be on iTunes and God knows where else. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay, can't we just talk about funny weed stories? Uh, okay, where were we? Say, um. Why I'm say I hear you because whenever spirit uh -huh. speaks to you, you have okay. to acknowledge, acknowledge that. Okay, I hear you. I hear you. Thank you for your answer. Why do you feel that I deserved it? Why do you feel that I deserved it? Because in a previous incarnation, you had been the perpetrator. Okay, and are you are you the judge inside of me? Are you the judge inside of me? Yes. Are you a watcher that is to see um, my reactions to myself? Are you a watcher that is to see the reactions within myself? I don't know. Okay. Say, am I saying I don't know because I don't know what a watcher is? Am I saying I don't know because I don't know what a watcher is? No, it's just quiet. Hmm. Say, is it quiet right now because I'm afraid of your answers? Is it quiet right now because I'm afraid of your answers? No. So why is it quiet then? So why is it quiet then? I'm getting it's because because it's resolved. Hmm. Say. Is it really resolved when there was defense? Is it really resolved when there was defense? No. Wouldn't love be the behavior of choice if, it, if there was true resolution? Wouldn't love be the behavior of choice if there was true resolution? Yes. So again, I will ask you, are you a watcher that want that is created me to see myself in another person? Again, I'll ask you. Wait, was it again? Are you a watcher uh -huh. that I've called in before I came into this embodiment? Okay, that is uh, that is assisting me into seeing my own reflection in another body. Are you a watcher that's come into this carnation, incarnation with me to help me see? my reflection in another body yes and so by me embracing that person who did that and why they did it does that allow me to embrace the part of my being that has n not real resolution that was a mouthful make it simple yeah by me in acknowledging and embracing and accepting that person does that mean I get to accept and embrace myself? By me acknowledging and embracing that person, does that mean I get to accept myself? Yes. So all 
people on earth who cause pain and suffering to another person is the other person's reflection showing up for them to acknowledge it with love and healing for why that person became the way they are. I'll oh. make it simpler for you. Thank you. Those long ones are yeah, tough. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. I got it. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm learning. Okay. I do that sometimes. Does me embracing this person allow me to have re uh, a complete resolution in the part of my spirit that was that person? Does, does, it, does me embracing this person have allow me to have resolution? Within myself? Within myself. Yes. And by doing so, will I then be able to take the knowledge and the wisdom to be able to assist others who have gone through similar things? And by doing so, will this allow me to uh, assist uh, others? Assist, uh, take that wisdom and assist others that have gone through the same thing? Yes. And so wasn't it necessary for me to go through that to be able to support humanity with the knowledge and wisdom that I will obtain by embracing it? So wasn't it necessary for me to go through that in order to obtain the wisdom necessary to help uh, others go through the same thing? Yes. So the understanding of being defensive over the situation is because I haven't made full resolution within myself. That's a question? Yes. See what's happening to you right now is where you're going through this? There's a part of your being that is in conflict right now. And that part of your being that's in conflict is the one that seeks justice for imbalance. But by you actually accepting this as a part of the necessary uh, part of you being who you are, you are basically denouncing that anyone who causes pain or suffering to another person should be brought to some form of justice. You're actually starting to understand how the spirits look at things. So you're able to see that a person who rapes a person we are always looking at the rape as the problem instead of understanding the person, what, what is going on within the person to become that rapist and why the person who got raped had to go through that rape. You see, we are always looking at looking for the right and wrong. And so the part of your being is like, I dealt with this already. I moved on. And I hear that a lot in the spiritual community. I hear people say like, I already dealt with that. I moved on. Why are you bringing this up in our session, Shaman Durek? Because you haven't dealt with it. You've dealt with it from a mental state. You've dealt with it perhaps even from an emotional state, but you haven't cleared it in your spirit body. And the spirit is what actually brought it into manifestation so that you can experience it. That means that on some core level of your being, by you embracing, it's like for my father, like by me acknowledging my dad and all the abuse that he put me through, I embracing him, I'm embracing the part of myself that put all those people through what they went through when I was a pharaoh. Because my dad, literally everyone's just saying, your dad is like a tyrannic king. And literally by me embracing him, I embrace that part of myself. So I'm able to teach people how to, use, how to use power in a proper way from love versus using power through fear, which is what my father operated from, right? So there's a part of you that is going into this space because if you look at a lot of the things that are 
coming through your life about what you think about sex, what you think about relationships, what you think about connection, what you think about all these things goes back to the idea that you don't trust yourself to be able to engage in that space without having some other agenda attached to it. So this is the reason why that fear is there is because you haven't completed the resolution. Once you complete the resolution here by accepting that spirit inside of you, you have just lifted every party. You've been, you lift the guy who was a part of it. So he gets to evolve. You've lift all the things in your life that you've judged and made wrong because of it. And that includes everything that you feel that stemmed from it. We call it the, the, you know, you have, you, you have cause, core, effect, record, memory, and discordant vibration. So discordant vibration is everything that, that, that vibrationally connected to that, which was discordant by your behaviors, your words, and the things that you've done to other people all gets lifted when the moment you actually bring love into that space. Because if you really look at it, even though he did something with you sexually, he did share intimacy with you. He did share some form of connection with you. Be it if he loved you, maybe in his mind he did love you, and maybe he was sharing that with you. Perhaps he was sharing with you uh, a place that he was in pain, and through that pain, he was sharing with you a place of comfort that he can share with you. But in order to get you into that space, you could have said, no, I don't want to watch that show. I'm not into that show. I'm not, I don't care. But there's a part of your being that said, no, yes, I do want that. I want to get engaged in this, this kind of contract. But in some other cases for other people who've been molested, like myself, my babysitter used to take my male babysitter took me in the bathroom, would jerk off. He would come in my mouth. He would do all of these different things. And he would tell me we share the essence of his being together. And this is how he, you know, whatever. So coming into that space of accepting him and understanding that those aspects were inside of me before I even came to earth. It was a part of me to go through those experiences so that I can find love from it. And then through that love, I can help other people understand why they go into that space as well. So this is a part, we call this in shamanism, your spirit power. And a lot of times people don't understand that every time they go through something painful or something difficult, it's your spirit power. Like alcoholism, drug abuse, stealing, molestation, all of that is your spirit power. That means that any single person, if you embrace all those things, you get powers from that. And that means people can come into your life and you will know exactly what to say to them, exactly what to do to bring resolution for them. Well, what you're speaking of is absolutely manifested in in all of those areas, you know? I mean, that's absolutely true because you can't really have empathy for someone. (laughs) I mean, you can have empathy and compassion for someone, but if you've gone through something subjectively, then there's a certain depth to that. Whereas you could tell me about a problem you've had or you're having, and, and I could feel for you and I love you, man. But if I haven't experienced that, it's sort of superficial in, in a way, you know? And, and I have helped uh, many, many men with drug addiction and alcoholism because I speak their language and they fucking trust me because I know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I know the way out. I've been in the hole and I know how to get out of the hole. And I I can lend my hand to them and offer my hand. And I'm also not jumping into the hall with their ass either, you know? Yeah. And with the, the sex abuse, I, it's funny because I've helped a few guys with that to have come to terms with that. And then, you know, reached a certain threshold of my capacity to do so and sent them to get professional help and take it a step further. But at least to get like 
to make a safe space for them to be like, yeah, me too, man. Like we can talk about this. It can be dealt with, but it's funny, man, because that defensiveness that came up, you know, and looking at that, it's interesting because I absolutely at such a soul level frame that experience as what brought me to God. And that might sound really weird to someone who's suffered that way and hasn't had that experience, but the cascade of events that transpired as a result of that initial like jarring of my whole fucking world eventually led me to the point where I had, you know, reached such a point of despair that I really had to, in a very earnest, sincere, deep way, seek a relationship with God in my life. But you were already seeking a relationship with God when you actually went through all of those things. Yeah, but it was on, I was unconscious of that. Even if you're unconscious of it, the relationship is still there. The right. purpose of, in, sh- in shamanism, we have this idea that everything that you go through that's painful and suffering and whatever is your training to become the shaman, is your training to become the, the leader, it's your training to become the healer, it's your training to become the voice for people, it's your training to bring messages of, of, of knowledge and healing, which is what you're doing in your life you already came to God. God was already with you. What God was doing is bringing you through your training that you needed to go through and understand that all of that energy of all that you went through was the journey of recognizing yourself already sitting there with God. God was already sitting there with you, inside of you, experiencing all of it with you and waiting for you to acknowledge that that was already there. So the come to God moment, like a lot of times people will say like, you know, in a lot of religion, Christian religion, they'll say like, God loves a sinner. And the word sin basically means to miss the mark. God loves it when you make mistakes. God loves it when you, <laughs> when you make mistakes. And I always tell people, don't try to be perfect because it's not necessary. Go ahead and let yourself make the mistake because that's when you actually gain the wisdom, the know-how and the understanding on how yeah. to really make the change, right? And so the whole idea of God loves a sinner and in shamanism, we always say that the path that you go through, the, te- the treacherous path that you go through is the tools and the training and the magic that you need in order to be able to create that level of uh, magic in someone's life or in a community or whatever. So it means that you're called to leadership. So this whole thing was your training. It was your shamanic training. You probably didn't have a teacher come in and say, hey, by the way, we're going to learn how to make fireballs with our hands and learn how to do this and that. That wasn't your training. Your training was that spirit was training you. Spirit was training you through those experiences to be, because I can guarantee you just by having this conversation with you, and I'm already getting downloads from my ancestors, that you're not even reaching the full potential of what all of that really meant yet because there's something so great inside that is waiting for you to like really recognize this amazing training that you got and take it to a level that affects people on such a global level. And by if it's creating an organization, if it's creating a space for people to, to step into, or if it's creating a device or a, a, a sound or whatever it is that you're going to bring that medium through, you already have the shamanic training. So that's already given. What spirit is asking of is for you not to look at it like a story, not to go into this like, ah, eh, you know, I want to do that and get defensive about it, but get into a place of embracement with love, right? Which is literally you basically saying, I'm embracing this with love, which means I'm taking full energy of this powerful medicine that I've been given. And now I'm going to take that and bring that to the world 
greater than your podcast or greater than any of these things. Our, your heart purpose always is like, it's like, it's like, I love what Mandela or what Martin Luther King, what, you know, Martin Luther King uh, and, uh, said once, he said, I'm a very angry man. You know, why is he angry? Because he's angry about the, the injustice that was done to black people and that is being done to black people. It is his anger that gave him the fuel and the understanding of what he went through. Every time he went to jail, every time he got arrested, every time he went through any kind of racism, it was his training. So his anger, his this, his that, whatever he went through was his training to become Martin Luther King. And Mandela was the same. Mandela, I, I remember being in Italy and Man, the person who wrote Mandela's autobiography, we, I had dinner with them and we had this deep three-hour conversation and he was telling me about Mandela and what Mandela, you know, and he says every time the guards came in his room and beat him, he saw it as a part of his training to, because one day he's going to be speak to the people and he's going to guide the people into peace. But he needed, he was going through the beating. And if you look at like Gandhi, Gandhi was just a lawyer who got on a train and went to work for aristocratic families in London until one day one person on the train acknowledged him and realized he shouldn't be sitting in first class and, and challenged him in that moment. And then when that challenge happened, it was him challenging himself through that man. And when he got beaten up and thrown off the train, it was him who was beating himself and throwing himself off the train so that he could see his people and see what they were going through so that he can then say, wait a second, this is not okay. I need to step into this place because the thing that pisses you off and makes you um, a defensive or angry or whatever is really your purpose. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And so that's why when I'm listening to your story, as you're talking, my ancestors are talking to me and they're going, he hasn't tapped his full purpose yet because he's still breezing through this story as a story instead of realizing that these are, this is a medicine that was imprinted inside your soul. And that God, who is your soul, has taken this medicine and waiting for you to bring it out of your being in its full completeness. Yeah, I believe that's true. I believe that's true. Yeah, I'm aware of that. Because how wonderful it was that you vandalized. How wonderful it was that you that you you robbed these houses. How wonderful that it was that you burnt down that tree. How wonderful it was that you went through all of these things for the sake of humanity. How congratulations! I applaud you. <laughs> no, seriously, because yeah. this is why you came to Earth. You didn't come here to just sit by a riverside and throw rocks at the river. You came here to be a leader and leaders have to go through that level of, of payment on a, on, a, on a spirit level so they can understand the discord, the disharmony, the, the, all of these things that occur within society, which occur within the human being and what took them to get there and all of these things. How wonderful it was that you did uh, crack, that you smoked crack. How wonderful it was that you did heroin. How wonderful that it was that you got molested. Fantastic. I'm glad that happened to you because that has shaped you to be the leader that you were born to be. These are not things I told my story and my story is crazy. And my, no, 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 your story is a God-given gift. Your story is a gift, a proclamation of the spirit that has blessed you with getting, going through these things. 
You've been like Gandhi was blessed to get beaten up and thrown off that train because look how it has transformed the lives of so many people. Martin Luther King, you know, all of the, the people that we see, Helen Keller, how blessed was she to lose her hearing, her eyesight, to be able to become and create all the things that she created from that space. That's, this is a blessing. You see, we always think a blessing is something that rewards us with something that makes us comfortable and feels good. I was blessed to die. I was blessed to be on dialysis for nine and a half years. I was blessed to be in a wheelchair. I was blessed that I did crystal meth. I was blessed that I was an alcoholic. These are blessings onto me. So I get to be blessed by this and move through that transition and become the voice. That's why when I used to hear people say in religion, God loves a sinner. I knew the word sinner didn't, wasn't what it meant because I know the real meaning of sinner. Sinner means to miss the mark. That's where the old Aramaic language comes from. It says the, sin, the word sin means to miss the mark. The missing of the mark is necessary for the evolution and adaptation of our planet and how we grow and learn. You cannot, uh, the, the cells in the body cannot your, your immune system cannot get strong without it having something to adapt by, by create, having a virus get in, by having bacteria affect you, by having these types of um, different types of uh, things in the environment affecting you, your body, your immune system gets stronger by being exposed to these things. This is a blessing, my love. So that's why I say when the part says inside of you that you deserve it, it's using that tone with you because that's how you view the idea of punishment or the idea that something is being done to you instead of acknowledging that you actually invited that into your life and, and, and embracing that space of that invitation. I love you, sweetheart. Love you too, bro. So. Moving forward, how does that sit with you? Oh, it's fucking perfect. It's perfection. What a lot of it boils down to is um, as excited as I am about many things that I'm doing in the world that are benefiting and giving my life purpose, meaning, value, there's a lot more. And that's why, you know, we were talking earlier about books and things like this. And from people that have observed my transition at 45 years old, I was like, cool, I'm reinventing myself. I'm not a fashion stylist anymore. I don't give a fuck about Hollywood. I want the real shit that I'm really into in my personal life anyway. And from the outside, I think, the well, I don't think, the feedback I would get is like, wow, you just came out of nowhere and you're like this thing now. You're doing all these things and creating so much content and speaking all over and the podcast and going on so many podcasts, but to me, it feels very slow and small still. I, I just know it is. Yes, because you haven't called in the fullness yeah. of yourself as a leader. Yeah, exactly. You're like, okay, I'm a leader. I'm leading. I'm, go, I'm doing this. The shit podcasts. that I've done that other people are impressed by, and I'm not just, I'm not bragging. It's just honestly, yeah, I get it. it's easy. Like what I've done so far. I mean, it's hard, you know, it's hard work on your day-to-day -day grind and like there's shit you got to do, but it's not, um, it let's has... go for that. Is it really hard, Luke? Is it really hard to do something that makes you feel good? No, I'm just saying there's, um, 
in a technical sense, there's equipment to set up, there's shit, you know, you hire these people, you do your website. I'm talking about that shit. Like, But is it hard? No. There's work involved, but I'm talking about the pushing of myself from my innermost self and being as big as I can be, fulfilling my potential. That that's harder in a different way. Um, and I, and I know that there's more of that to do, but it's not harder. That's the thing. You keep using the word harder. Your spirit is communicating to me right now. Even as you speak, it's not harder. It's the idea of you accepting the call of that, which you were called into place to bring. You were given the ability to say, I want to go to earth and I'm choosing all these, these. You have quantum levels of choices that you could have made. You chose those ones as according to that blessing that you needed to bestow upon the planet. So you were willing to go through that, what we call treacherous, tumultuous, whatever you want to call it, waters that you've had to swim through <laughs> the piranha river the piranha river <laughs> but that was a blessing to your spirit so yeah. that you can bestow upon earth a, a message a teaching a, a wisdom something that you've come to bestow the reason why it may seem hard to get to that space is not that it's hard is that you haven't fully accepted the call yet oh totally and when you I accept agree. it like i i went yeah. through that with myself, you know, people always say to me, oh my God, you're blowing up, you're here, I saw you on this TV show, you're doing this thing, you're in this magazine, blah, 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 blah. To me, it's not about those things. It's about getting the message out to people. The message and being comfortable and bringing that message and holding that space of leadership so that others can hold space of leadership for themselves. That's what you're, you're, so you have come to do that the reason why those things haven't come, which they are now, because I know that by this, by me being here with you, talking about you with the book, all these things, like even just when I'm around you, the second time that I've been here in your home, literally, I feel the, the ancestors talking to me and they're like, you, you're supposed to be in his life. You know, we have a lot of things um, that are very um, sim uh, sim uh, similar in common um, towards leadership. Uh, he's gone through the shamanic um, rites of passage, through the things he's gone through in his life. And you're here to appropriate him to accept the call and, and, and realize that the call hasn't fully been acknowledged within. And once it does, the clarion call will come out and all the people, that's why I say alignment over hustle, all the people who've been waiting for you and have been set up before they came to earth to be told that they're going to meet you at this time, at this place, at this event, at this moment, at this thing to support you and being that leader are all going to just show right up. And the idea of hard won't even exist. There's nothing hard in my life. I can say it's hard because I have to do work, but that's not really hard. It's like me playing a game with myself. I'm not really being honest about it. The truth of the matter is it's an alignment. And there is no hard when there's alignment. There's hardness when you're hustling. Right now, the reason why the alignment hasn't shown up is because they're waiting for you to claim it inside of your being, not from the outside. You're still looking from the outside in. They're asking you to go inside and accept, and the outside will then bring the, the alignment of the people, the events, and the situations that are going to bring you to understand why all of what you went through was a blessing. As Martin Luther King uh, said once, that I'm being led by God. I'm not leading God, right? It's being led by God. But what does he mean by that? Is that he means that by being led by God, 
means that God has already the perfect alignment for you and is just asking you to just align with it and watch everything come to you easily and effortlessly. Yeah, that's that's very true. It's been happening so far. Yeah. I mean, dude, the day I really drew a line in the sand and said, I'm not going to fucking dress people for a living anymore. Everything just started to unfold in this direction. I just, you know. But you are dressing people still. You I see? am? Of course you are. You're just dressing them in a different way. Oh, on, from the inside out. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but that, it, it was really fascinating to observe that because I had a lot of fears about my ability and capacity to just kind of, you know, do something totally foreign in a sense. And and uh, all doors have opened, as as you're saying, as fast as I've been willing to fucking turn the handle. That's right. You know? That's right. Not but there are some doors that I'm like, yeah. I'll, I'll open that one later, you know? Exactly. Yeah, so it exactly. makes perfect sense, yeah. That's what I see. Yeah. So let's talk about, so now we have an understanding, and I think a lot of people now who are listening have an understanding of Is what- Is this common on your show that you do what you're doing right now? Um, in what sense? <laughs> what am I doing? What am I doing? You're like doing your thing on me. Let's see. Do I do that on my show? Uh, sometimes I'll do it on my show, uh, but this not- and completely like this. Yeah. But I asked Spirit if this is something I've only that listened, I listened to a couple of your solo shows, but not your interviews. Because yeah. I wanted to get to know you more before I interviewed you on my show. So I eavesdropped on your little situation. But I was like, I don't need to listen to him interview other fools. I don't, I'm not interviewing their ass. I'm interviewing you. Interesting. Yeah. So that's, that's funny. You remind me of my friend, Neil. Neil Strauss. He's an author. And if you sit down with fucking... And I went to uh, record with him and... He's one of my favorite writers, but he's a very introspective guy and he's very intellectual and he's really into the therapeutic model and personal development and stuff like that. And if you sit down with Neil to interview him, he'll basically just turn the tables on you and just like therapize you basically the whole time. You know, so it's like you can't really interview him because he's built a career interviewing people. I mean, he's interviewed the most brilliant people and you know the biggest artist and all that you know as a long-term writer for rolling stone and stuff so it's like it's difficult to interview him because he's used to interviewing other people and he's always the inquirer you know but he'll dig deep like that in a conversation i'm like wait i'm supposed to be fucking the one asking the questions here you know it's funny so it's an interesting format of your show it's fun yeah i think it's important because i feel like you know you are a public figure and i think it's important because you're willing to be transparent and I want to be able to utilize on, because ancient wisdom today is really about creating, understanding wisdom and information and, and what I call, um, you know, uh, data that is what we call uh, correct data. Correct data is information that can actually lift us and shift us and take us higher into who we are and as a community and as an individual. And so, you know, it's this is just listening to your story of how you got to where you are. It's about understanding for people to listen and understand like, okay, he just told me this really intense story. And like some people are listening at home to that story of what you said. And they're just like, what? And he did what? And oh my God, you know, and there's people who are going through that, but to understand it, not just as a story, but yeah. as a medicine for life, because I it? am a shaman, I yeah. have to bring it into that level. So I wasn't a really, my, my, my beginning plan wasn't let me go in and start giving him <laughs> this therapy. Yeah, yeah. But when you went into your story, it was so intense 
So the intensity needed to have a volume that lifted people into an understanding of what is the true depth of that story from the place of how it's true medicine. Yeah, that's awesome. I love it. I mean, and that's... I mean, what what other reason is there to even tell a story? You know, I mean, this is why we watch movies. This is why we read novels. It's because we're trying to extract the moral of the story, the moral of the story, the character of it, the the value, the meaning. You know, the um, the principles that can be extracted from it and add added to your life that you can then apply. You know, it's kind of what I was talking about earlier. Yeah, I love that. I love it. No, it's just fun. I'm not like. Yeah, no, I get it. <laughs> yeah, because like people look at you and they think they look at you and I've heard people talk about you and I, you know, and I do my own due diligence in my own way. And um, I've heard in circles, people talk about you like Luke's story. Oh my God, like, da, 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 like I would die to be on his podcast and this and that and the other and da, 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 because they put you up in this, in this way. But when I looked at you, when I first came t- into your life, I look at you in a different way. I don't look at you as a person who has a podcast. I look at you as a as my brother who's a leader on this planet. And like when I talk about a lot of the leaders who, you know, like the Martin Luther Kings and the, you know, um, JFKs and all the people who were willing to speak out about something, we are that. That's what we represent. Right. Right. <laughs> See that right there? That's weird to me because I, I still just view myself kind of as a fan. Like I'm just figuring this shit out because I'm always learning on to the next thing. It's like I, I very rarely look around at all the coal that I've shoveled in the past, you know, 40, almost 48 years, especially the last 22 of those. Mm-hmm. It's just like, yeah, cool. Yeah. Okay. Had those awakenings, accomplished this, accomplished that, inner accomplishments, I mean, mostly, uh, realizations. A certain degree of wisdom has been gained, but then I'm like, okay, I gotta fuck now. I gotta work on this money thing. Now I gotta work on the relationship thing. I'm literally always just focused on the pile of coal in front of me. So it's difficult to get a zoomed out 30,000 feet view of myself as someone, as you said, to many people now, having had a platform for a couple of years in my podcast, that I am like an, a leader or an influencer because I'm still looking at the people that I'm learning from. You know what I'm saying? It's, it, it is difficult. It's difficult to, see that and it's also it's uh to keep humility in that to a balanced perspective where let me let me just finish this, this is thought. great i'm go ahead let me just finish this Please. because see i had to overcome my limited perspective of humility because the old school textbook version of humility is is really very imbued with false humility where someone says dude you're a leader you're fucking brilliant you're awesome you're like oh no i'm just i'm just a student you know i'm i'm just you know like that kind of thing but true humility as i'm beginning to embrace it and understand it is saying yeah fuck yeah i'm a leader fuck yeah i have wisdom fuck yeah i'm powerful and i got a lot of shit i'm still working on that's right you know it's the balance of of, you know, the humility of having a realistic appraisal of oneself, not like, yeah, I'm better than others or worse than others. That's right. And I think we have this misunderstanding. And I, I held this for a long time that, oh, I have to be humble so I can't take ownership of my brilliance and my power. And that's the thing that I'm really working with. And maybe what you're picking up with is like, wait, sometimes I look in the mirror and I just want to fucking slap myself. Like, wake up, dude, you're fucking awesome. <laughs> you know, and I'm slow to fucking arrive at that conclusion, largely because the framework that I come from is like someone who's really fucked up who needed to work on myself a lot. And I'm always looking at the things that are like glaringly, you know, um, wrong. 
And so there's always that process of self-inquiry and, and inventory and not a lot of time spent to say, hey, man, look at the fucking two tons of coal that I've already shoveled. And that means something. And that's, that's worth celebration. It's Absolutely. worth acknowledgement. And it's also, dare I say, perhaps inspiring to someone who's on their first or second shovel full of that same coal. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Because so I, it's, I, I really appreciate what you're saying. And it's good for me to hear because it, it, it is my time to really uh, come into my own. In a couple of years, I'm going to be 50 years old. I mean, if not now, when, right? If I'm going to go at all, I should go big. <laughs> well, you know, it's the, it's the understanding of that you're not like, and that's what you were saying. And that's where I was uh, really, um, when I interrupted you and I wanted you to finish, is that you're breathing through the story as a story instead of seeing the diamonds and rubies and gems of the blessings that were given to you by having that story. The, the, and your name, Luke's story, right? They're all weird, the, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing, right? Yeah, that's better. <laughs> right? So there is an understanding <laughs> of the, 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 the relativeness of how these diamonds and gems and rubies are presented in front of you versus you looking at them and saying, well, because I have still work to do. And I see a lot of this in the spiritual community. People think, well, I have so much work to do. I can't be this leader. I can't be this person because I'm still going through this. Or they're like, well, once I figure this out for myself, then I'll be able to step into that place. Incorrect. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 everyone knows that, and even in shamanism, we have the idea that, you know, even though I took my rites of passage, my, that was my rites of passage to be able to accept and be shaman Durek. But that doesn't mean that shaman Durek is free and void of lessons and teachings and learnings and so forth. So humility for, for me and the way I look at humility is humility for me is that it's okay to make mistakes and love myself through that process yeah. and still be the leader that I am. Yeah. Because if you look at every leader that's out there, I mean, what was it? Uh, Gandhi used to what beat his wife while speaking to the people about liberation, you know, um, that, and, and, and so, and Martin Luther King, you know, also had his own women issues that he dealt with. Really? Oh yeah. The, 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 these, these are not, was, um, was, uh, Martin Luther King slaying some ass on the side or what, what was his deal? <laughs> uh, there was a lot of womanizing going on. <laughs> well, I, pro yeah, the way I phrase that is probably pisses a lot of women off, but but the point is... I'm a part-time comedian, so I can get away with it. There you go. But the thing is, is that no leader in the world is free from the lessons of life continuing so they can continue to have more gems and diamonds and blessings. And what I, and one reason why I said that to you, and it's actually, I'm having deja vu right now, which means that I've actually been here in the seat with you in my spirit body in another dimension and fast forwarded, and then it became a part of my full embodiment, is that... You are breezing through these things and going like, okay, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. Whereas when I'm with you, spirit goes, you see who he is. I said, of course I see who he is. That's why I enjoy being with him. The, the, the power of you being a, a leader in life, a leader in this world, and being able to hold that torch without the idea of I'm not allowed to hold that torch because I'm doing blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Yeah. No, you hold that torch and you still do blah, well, see, blah, blah, see, blah, blah. See, you're, you're really on to something because 
even when you say like, oh, you're a leader, I cringe because to me, I see an arrogant, douchey person that wants to tell other people what to do. Like That's my interpretation. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there's a part of me, if I'm really honest, it's like, oh God, I don't, I don't ever want to be a leader. I just want to like go to another seminar and work on myself. Meanwhile, a lot of other people are like, when are you going to do a seminar? I'm like, no, no, no I got to keep, I'm still the student. You know, I get stuck in that, in that role because I've considered many people leaders and I respect them very much, but there's some block there that you've caught on to where to put myself in that role and really, really step up and own it. There is still a, that's why I said, you haven't, called it. you haven't yeah. called it yet. There's a resistance in that. Yeah. But there's a, you know, the, it's interesting to it's see. A, it's an interesting thing. And you know, like uh, I remember when I was in Iceland and I had worked on this woman and she went to the press and told them how I healed her and did all these things. And, this group heard, this medical group heard about them. They're like a very big kind of like atheist. They're doc, they're all doctors and scientists. They run the pharmaceutical companies. They own a lot of radio stations in Iceland and so forth. And they literally went into the press and bashed me and bashed me in the news and, you know, bashed me every which way they could. So when I arrived in back to um, Iceland and stayed in Reykjavik, people were like walking down the street, looking at their phone and looking at me and then coming up in my face and making little comments and, you know, all this stuff. And uh, what, what I thought was really fascinating was I was at home and I called my friend Kyle Godfrey and I said, what I'm being, but I'm literally being attacked right now in this country. I had friends in Iceland who were like, you might want to leave because I'm, I'm on the other side of Iceland. And you know, I live out in the countryside, Dirk, far from Reykjavik. And your name has been brought up in the pubs. Your name has been brought up on tables. Like that's how much Iceland is so small. Everyone spreaded this news. And so you had like a majority of people who were like, yay, we love you, Shaman Dirk. And the other one was like, please get him out of our country. So I would go out to get a smoothie and this woman would look at me and be like, you should be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> you know? And, and so literally, I was like, whoa. And then I literally went home and I got a message from my publicist and she's like, they want you to go on a radio show called Armageddon and they want to like confront you on these things. And she's, and I, my manager at the time, who is no longer my manager, said to me, oh, you need to go on like the Buddha and you need to be, stay in a place of peace and you need to stay in a place of, you know, very calm and have to say your things very calm and so forth and whatever. And I remember getting to the radio station and the first thing that the two radio guys said to me, they're like, you do know what kind of show you're going on. I was like, well, obviously I do. I wouldn't be here. And she, you know, I went in there and I was like, I'm going to be a little bit of Gandhi and a little bit of Malcolm X and a little bit of, you know, anyone who is fighting for people's rights. And I went in there and I just dropped it like it was hot on them. They thought they were going to have some kind of shaman guy come in there who they were going to just like, because I've watched all their shows and in their shows, <laughs> they rip everyone a new asshole, you know? Uh, uh. Like you're not going to rip me a new asshole, but that's nice. You you yeah. really think you are, but you you just go ahead and think that because I'm not. I'm 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 very clear with all the things that I've gone through in my life, and that's what I'm saying for you. All the things that you've gone through in your life, there's a clarity of knowing that we can overcome things, and that clarity oh, yeah. makes it so I can stand in these people's faces and be able to say what I want to say and not and not back down. So I said what I wanted to say. And then, you know, the show basically went where they were like, well, everyone I guess who's listening is going to be on your side because they actually really thought they were going to break me down. Then they wanted to do like a big debate where they wanted to bring like 
the pharmaceutical uh, guy to come in and to debate with me. And they brought in the top news guy for world news to come in and be the mediator. And it was like the room was divided. But before that happened, I was on the toilet for like three days, shitting my brains out. I was in the place like, like I couldn't go. Every time I walked out the door, someone was saying something rude to me. And I called my friend and she said to me, honey, isn't that why you chose to be Shaman Dirk? Isn't that, what you're, isn't that why you're here? Aren't you here to, to, to stand up for people? And in that moment, I looked at every single thing I've overcome and was like, you're right. You're absolutely right. And at that moment, I got him phone. I said, you know, contact the president, contact the United Nations, contact all of them. I want to have a dinner. I want to sit down and talk about what I'm about to do. And then I went and confronted this pharmaceutical guy. And the reason why I'm telling you this story is because it's that energy. It's the energy of the same attitude that you had when you were vandalizing thing and you had the I don't give a fuck attitude is the same energy you're going to have to have to be the leader that you were born to be. So what you're saying is I got to embrace spiritual punk rock. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I embrace spiritual country rock and roll. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm country. I love my country music and I have my rock and roll side. I got my Metallica and I'm, I, I, you know, Metallica helped me to really see the truth of I'm not here to, to play games. I'm not here to pet the pooch. Yeah. I'm here to raise other leaders to become leaders so that if we have not just one leader, the problem was the 70s and the 60s when we had all of these leaders arrive, there was one of them and they were flocking, they were holding a flock of, to all the people around them, but all those people were just following them. They weren't stepping into their own leadership. The difference is it was easy to pick them off by shooting them or whatever, because you shoot them, boom, you stop them from talking, and now their followers are going to go scatter. And then, yeah, their message may live on and whatever, but people will get a message of never step into that role again. I've come to change that bullshit. What I've come to do is not just stand up as me as the leader. I've come to help other people become the leaders and to lead the message forward. So it's not just one or two or three. It's a hundred, a thousand, a million. You got a million leaders walking in their truth on planet earth, being exactly understanding that every pain, every suffering they went through was a part of their gems and diamonds to become the leader, to put that crown on their head and stand in their regalness and step up to the things that are, are ripping the fiber and the fabric of life apart and us begin to mend that shit back together you can't shoot a million people and kill a million people because a million people can become two million people and three million people and so forth. So every time you're doing these podcasts, every time I'm doing these podcasts, we're building leaders because of the things we have gone through. That's why we can step into these places. So with you stepping into that door where you're like, okay, I'm going to turn the knob, turn that fucking knob. Go in that door. That's where you belong. And look at all that you have triumphed through and congratulate yourself. Throw yourself a party called a hero's party. Whatever it is you feel you need to do to recognize all of the adversity, difficulty, challenges that you went through and overcame, you're still fucking here. There are people on this planet who are committing suicide and doing all kinds of things because they can't even handle just a tiny bit of information that's happening to them. And you're went through so much in your life and you're still fucking here. Why aren't you acknowledging that? Why aren't you throwing a party for yourself? Why aren't we having a dinner and acknowledging that we're still fucking here? Everyone should be having a still fucking here party. 
because that's how we're going to be able to recognize that everything we went through is not in vain. It was not for the vanity of suffering and it wasn't in vain. Everything that we went through were the gems and diamonds that we needed to embed upon the staff of wisdom so that we can go forth into the world and be the mighty people that we are. And that's what you represent. And don't ever think opposite from that from this day forward. I hereby solemnly swear, Shaman Dirk. <laughs> I'm not only going to turn that knob, I'm going to kick that motherfucking door in. There you go. And do it with some cool-ass music in the background, too. Like, make that shit a movie, yeah, you know? Yeah. Let's get a video and just fucking see you kicking that door down with some serious freaking rock and roll music behind you. <laughs> That's great, dude. Yeah? That's good stuff. How can people get in touch with you? How can people, you know, get in, aboard your train and and really you know, ride that express of information and knowledge that you're bringing to the planet and really being a part of your life to, to watch you really claim that calling of, of that leadership into your being of hundred percent. How can people get involved? Well, with the that? flagship, you know, uh, is my main website, lukestory.com, S-T-O-R-E-Y. And there is uh, always a directory of events that I'm speaking at, uh, workshops, things like that, that go on, uh, quite regularly as well as the Lifestylist podcast, uh, on which I'm not sure whose show will come out first, but on which you've been a guest and uh, many other people of a uh, similar caliber and interest. So uh, the podcast is really, I think, the, the main thing that I focus on in terms of content. And it has a lot to do with the metaphysical uh, and the spiritual and personal development, but also very much so about getting this vessel, the human meat suit, working right and staying out of hospitals and away from doctors and learning how to have autonomy and um, a sense of responsibility for your own physical embodiment so that you can carry your physical journey. So I'm really into biohacking and herbalism and things like that and interview a number of leaders in that area too. So my goal was to kind of do a 50-50 physical and metaphysical because you can't really have one without the other. Mm -hmm. So um, that's the Lifestylist podcast. And then in terms of social media, the most active one is my Instagram, at uh, Luke Story, S-T-R-E-Y. And I do a lot of, um, you know, I keep the feed kind of pretty, but I do a lot of interesting stories and uh, and live feeds and things like that of just random shit that I discover out in the world. I'm, I'm a real researcher, you know, I mean, a real seeker in terms of cutting edge technologies and health and things like that. And so when I find things, I just, I'm obsessed with sharing them. So I think if people um, find me on social, you'll kind of see on my Instagram, everything else that I'm doing too. I love that. I'm so happy. And so everyone, you know, go and, and get on the story train and be a part of this magic man and what he represents and what he's come to bring to the planet because he's got a lot of gems and diamonds, as you've heard. And that right there speaks numbers. So thank you for being on the show. Thanks um, for having me on the show. We went hard, dude. This is, that's, uh, we're at four and a half. Yeah, four and a half hours now. <laughs> but it's cool. It worked out great. You know, it's like I said, we're going to hang out anyway. We probably would have been up this late yep. talking about pretty much the same shit. The only difference is there's mics on. I mean, honestly, the areas we just went into, I mean, I've never talked about that stuff at that depth and length, but um, that's probably what we would have talked about anyway. You know, it's like, what's, what's, where are our blocks still? You know, what can we break through? How can we 
help more people. So it's it's really fun to spend the whole night with you and just go crazy. For those listening, you know, now it's it's now uh, 3 a.m., you know, California time. This is definitely my longest night of podcasting ever, but it beats the hell out of smoking crack and crawling the carpet and smoking bits of plastic, you know? Come a long way, kid. Yeah, absolutely. I agree 100%. So thank you for being with us. Love you, man. I love you too. Wow, 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 wow. How do you feel? I know how you feel. You must be lit, filled, and just completely aware of the ideas and experiences that in, that you just went through, but also in your own lives, like all the things that you went through in your life. And you're realizing, you know what? Those things that I went through, those are gems, the diamonds and beautiful gems and emeralds and things that I could bring into the world to step into my leadership. And perhaps that leadership is yours to for children. And perhaps it's yours to support the planet and nature and our art, to bring art, to bring all of these alchemy, to bring whatever it is to life it is exactly what you're here to do so don't be ashamed of the past honor embrace it love it and you don't erase it and remember that it's all valuable because it is literally the crowns that you wear upon your head and the diamonds and the gems in that crown are all the things that you've experienced and the wisdoms that you get to bring and carry into life and i'm so glad that we had the amazing luke story on today on Ancient Wisdom Today podcast. I love you all so much. Remember every single day to word yourself up, have your beautiful time with yourself, honoring yourself. Remember that you're a strange bird and it's okay to be you and awkward and weird and crazy and different because that is the expression of life and creativity that you represent here on planet Earth. And until the next show, you can check me out at Shaman Dirk on Instagram. I love you so much. If you want to know what kind of workshops I'm doing, check them out. Go to my website, sign up on my newsletter. If you want to learn shamanism, you want to learn how to tap into your powers, you want to level up, just let me know what you want to do. I'm here for you. I love you. And until next show, goodbye.